Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Yeah, I know. Hi, I'm Sarah Smith. If you're the type of person that goes to liberty as other people would go on safari, and the fact that John Lewis doesn't have a funeral service makes you fret, Sarah Smith cleaning cloths are for you. Sarah Smith, available from Sainsbury's for the Posher Washer. Proud sponsors of Dumpty Dum. This is Dumpty Dum, the show about the reality docudrama that sends an ambush in the heart of the Midlands. I'm the joint master of the hunt, who is Royfield Brown, and with me are the landowner, nice guy farmer, who is... David Archam. Also known as... Oh, right. Uh, Tim Bentink. <laughs> and we also have the missing in action, one-eyed ballroom dancing milkman, who is... Mike Tucker. Also known as Terry Malloy. We've got the biggies for you today, folks. Now, today's rendition of Bart Green is brought to you by my girl, Vicky Cole in Kenya, who is knocking out wonderful rhythm on those African drums. Um, probably noticed at the top of the shop, didn't mention Lucy, because there is no Lucy today, because it's half term. So you're stuck with us three looking back at some of the actors who have passed on or have left the show. Um, Tim and Terry. Hello. Hello. Um, could you remind the listeners how long you've been part of the cast? Uh, why don't you go first, Tim? Um, I, I'm not as long as Terry. I do. I'm 34 years. How long are you, Tom? 43, 44. 43. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 43 you're... years, mate. Man and boy. Yeah, well, <laughs> mostly boy, but, you know, there we go. And my manhood will come eventually, I'm sure. Yeah. Is that, is that, so, Terry, do you still see Tim as a bit of a novice if he's, you know... Oh, he's, 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 a, he's what they call an incomer, isn't he? You know, he's, yeah. He's got to be, you've got to be there for 50 years before he's even considered part of Ambridge, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm a foreigner, basically. For, a foreigner. Yeah. A foreigner, yeah, foreigner. absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, gents, with a show that's been running since 1951, um, actors leaving or, dare I say, passing on uh, must happen quite often. Are there any rituals or anything that the cast does to observe um, actors that have passed away? There's there's not a, a, a set ritual, no. I yeah. mean, it's the same as when when any friend goes. You know, if yeah. if you can, you go to the funeral. You write yeah. letters. Mm-hmm. You miss them. They're they're not there anymore. They leave a gap. Um, yeah. And um, but that's the extraordinary thing about the arches because it happens in real time. Um, de- you know, in 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 a way that it wouldn't happen in a play on stage in a, you know, in a in a film or in a telly. Um, the only equivalent, really, would be for it to happen in a long-running television series like, you know, Coronation Street or EastEnders or something like that, um, because it all happens in real time. When when the actor dies, usually um, the character dies with it. If it's if the if the actor uh, sadly dies, you know, a bit young, then then they can be recast and have been. Um, but usually, if they're if they're you know if if they're of a good age, then the character will will pass away. Um, and so it's that's quite strange because you have sort of two deaths. Um, you know, you have the death of the actor, and then you have the death mm. of the character. So it's a, a sort of double whammy, isn't it, mm. Terry? Very much so. And, and I mean, obviously, people will die and perhaps die suddenly. And um, the program sometimes looks for a way to maintain that character, not necessarily vocally on screen, but for a time, and then let them go. I mean, I think the exception to that was when uh, when. Um, 
Graham Roberts died, that his family wanted him to die on the programme as well at the same time. Um, yeah. And it was, it was um, you know, it had to be done because they didn't want him hanging around in the air, if you like, um, for years afterwards. Um, so, yeah, it, it has to be handled with sensitivity, you know, and uh, there are dramatic deaths, there are very gentle passing aways, um, as I'm sure we will discuss um, as we go through the programme. Mm. Um, Tim, you came into the Archers in, I believe, 1982? I did. So you can remember Margot Boyd entering the Archers in 84 as the Hound Lady. Um, what was yeah. it like working with her? She was, I think she was just called the Dog Woman more yeah, than the Hound yeah. Lady. <laughs> well, she was, she, was ex- she was exceptional. Margot was, was a true eccentric um, and w- was, um, she was a character all of her own. She was one of the funniest women, um, I think, I've ever met. Right, everybody, coming on in Western Now, as you know, you are completely free to do what you like. Completely free, but I do strongly recommend a trip to the museum in Burlington Street. No, want to come to the seaside to look at a museum? They have the most interesting Iron Age relics. Uh, she should know. Uh. Now, about our return trip, we must be with four thirty props, and I need. She was always dressed impeccably. She always wore a sort of this two-piece um, wool um, suit. Um, I don't know what it's called. What's it? What's it? What's a suit where it's got a skirt? You know, she didn't yes. wear trousers. Um, oh, it was Margaret Rutherford, really, wasn't it? it was, she was. She, she looked like Margaret Rutherford. Yeah. She, her, her white hair was impeccably done, absolutely yep. perfectly. Um, and she was apparently absolutely immune to the effects of alcohol and cigarettes, <laughs> which she devoured with some aplomb, um, all, all sort of all through the day. But she never, ever appeared to be drunk. Um, she had a permanent smile on, on her very made up face. She had a, a face that was completely plastered in makeup um, and and had a poise and a style and a wicked and naughty and dirty sense of humor. Completely. Um, the, the like of which, I mean, the, the, I, I'm actually, I've, the drop, I'll, I'll drop here, I've, um, I'm, I've, I've got a book deal, I'm writing an autobiography, and these things I'm having to go back and go to, and it's awful when you write down and say, it's the funniest woman I've ever met, and then you can't think of any gags. <laughs> so, I, I've been going around the car saying, can you think of any great Margoisms? Can you remember any, any good ones, Terry? I mean, there was a wonderful time when we were actually doing the stage play, A Murder at Ambridge Hall, and because we were utilizing the fact that we could actually have voices coming in on the telephone. And we asked Margot if she would record a little bit for the show to be played in at some point, you know. And uh, she was in one of her times, she was in her, her flat in London. And um, she said, oh, she just caught on. Send somebody around, send somebody around. And uh, so we sent the sound recorders around. And um, he, he very nearly didn't get out of the flat alive, you know. She was <laughs> plying in with scotch. And, and then we say, oh, that was a terribly nice man you sent around. Have him come back. Have him come back. <laughs> I mean, she, I, uh, she was naughty, naughty. She was. I've got. I did a video when we left Pebble Mill. There was a party to leave Pebble Mill, and Paddy, um, Paddy Green, uh, plays Jill, made, uh, made a speech which I've got recorded. And uh, she recalls Margot on the telephone to a costume department, giving her her her, her, her dimensions. Mm. Um, and she just said, 42, 42, 42. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what she was. Yes. She was sort of square. Yeah, uh, she she was she was great, and she still still much missed. We need you know it's characters like that that made yeah. the program for me when I came into it, surrounded by bar- bar- barking mad people. I mean, mm. you know, the, the, very individual and strange, and people who'd come from different walks of life, mm. um, as opposed to you know we're all we're all actors now. But it wasn't like that in the in the early days, was, nope. was it? Although Margot was an actress. I mean, sorry, I mean, yes, no, I mean, yeah, she I was mean, an actress. But, 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 but I mean, there were lots of country country people, as, yeah. if you like, like, uh, you know, um, dear old uh, Bob Arnold, you know, he was a countryman, um, yeah. as was Molly Harris. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, there, there was that immense depth and texture of, of voices that, um, you know, in the days when I came in, in you know, um, early 70s, uh, that was just amazing to listen to in the studio and obviously on the radio as well. Now, talking about voices, um, Arnold Peters, who played Jack Woolley, had a very distinct uh, Brummie accent. Mm. I didn't realise until today that there actually were two Jack Woolleys. So, um, Mm. Terry, could you tell us about the first Jack Woolley who died in 1979? This was Philip Garston-Jones. I mean, he was 
he was wonderful. I mean, he was an actor of the old school, terribly, terribly refined. He lived in Henley and Arden, and I think he was on the council, uh, on the whatever the local meet or whatever it was in, in Henley at the time. He was one of the council or the town councillors or something. He was phenomenally astute at going through everything that we did. Um, I didn't realise how famous he was. I mean, I made the gross mistake um, about a year or so after I joined that I just met Philip and he was this sort of sort of rather nice, bumbling old chap who, you know, told us about things, but did a wonderful Jack Woolley. And um, he joined the cast. Uh, I was working at Birmingham Rep. And he came in to play uh, the butler in Importance of Being Earnest or something or other. And I just breezed in and he said, oh, Terry, Terry, I'll be joining you with the Birmingham Repertory Theatre soon. I said, oh, good old Philip, joining the professionals at last. And there was a deathly silence. (laughs) Everyone just looked at me. It was one of those awful... Uh, the man who said the wrong word, you know, and I went, <laughs> I said, it was anything I looked at, oh God, Philip, I apologise deeply. But he used to go through every omnibus, and in those days they used to cut bits out. Mm. So that you'd always know there was an omnibus cut coming up uh, because you'd be talking about vegetation or something or other. Um, but on the on the day after the, the omnibus, you were in studio, you say, oh, Terry, um, nah, three omnibuses for you uh, because you were you, they were paid separately if you got an omnibus three omnibus fees for you Terry he'd note everybody's omnibuses fees it was great you know? um, bless him and he had this wonderfully rich it was terribly posh but he puts on Jack Woolley and he becomes this old uh, you know this commodionally old feather it was lovely and you know sadly he went the way that many people do I mean because he was fairly elderly when uh, when I joined the programme so um, yeah and uh, then we moved on to a new Jack Woolley. Mm. Do you remember how long the, the, the gap was between Philip passing and Arnold taking up the mantle of, of Jack Woolley? I don't think it was that long, actually. I mean, they tend to, if they're going to maintain a character, they will probably drop him out for six months at least mm-hmm. to, to get people to almost, almost forget what the voice was like and then bring the new one in. I don't think it was much more than a year uh, before uh, Arnold Peters came in as Jack. And Arnold already been in the programme before as um, several other characters in the early mm. days. I can't remember the names who were now. But he was, he was one of the farmhands in the early days of the Archers. Mm. So he knew the programme anyway. One of the most poignant things about Arnold is obviously he plays Jack and Jack is diagnosed mm. with having Alzheimer's. And mm. then shortly after playing, starting to play that part of Jack's, uh, Jack's life, Arnold himself yeah. you know, was diagnosed as, as having Alzheimer's. Yeah. Um, how did the cast feel about that with the fact that, you know, he still played that role for a time? It was quite extraordinary because he was displaying the, the signs of Alzheimer's. You know, he, we'd be sitting in the green room and he'd be his normal, usual, cheery self and he'd be coming in and asking you questions about the you know, house family. And yeah. um, it was so that and, uh, and you know, chat, 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 and you'd tell them and you'd this and that and so and so. And then he'd do that awful thing that happens with, a, with dementia or Alzheimer's. He'd, he'd, he'd repeat it. He'd start, he'd start again mm. and you'd have to go through it all over again. But then... He would then go into the studio with his script and play the part of a man getting Alzheimer's with the same professionalism and aplomb that he had always brought to the part and nothing changed at all. So his ability Mm -hmm. to be able to do the job didn't change in the slightest bit. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of that was very poignant and 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 sad. Um, And, you know, then, as you can imagine, there came a point where. I can't remember whether it was his decision. I think it was probably, I, I would imagine it was a sort of mutual decision that, um, that he should retire. Yeah. Um, and then what happened, Terry? The, did, what happened to the, the character? Did he, he then went, he then became silent, didn't he? And then eventually. He became yeah. silent and, and was in the home. And, uh, you know, because you've also got the, you know, the amazing fact that uh, June's husband, her husband in real life, had gone through the same process. So oh, that's right, June course, was yeah. again reliving the whole aspect of alzheimer's with a with a character in the program but also somebody she'd worked alongside it was also getting alzheimer i mean it was yeah. for june it must have been an immense um mm. strain and she mm. you know she bore it brilliantly mm. um but yes i mean there was a there came a time when arnold you know had to go into a home um into a hospice and uh, I think it was around that time that they they because they did record some a couple of um, actually there yeah things. At, yeah, the, it, at that place, yeah. At the home, yeah. yeah. His, his last recording on the Archers was... I think was at the home, was, yeah. was there, yeah. yeah. You see those pretty shiny colours? That's enamel. You remember Ted? Um, Ted? Violet's husband. No? 
Well, anyway, Ted's been teaching me how to do enameling. And I was wondering what to make. And I thought, I know. I'll make a birthday present for Jack. Oh, you're very kind. Uh, shall I put it on for you? Oh, thank you. <laughs> blue, like the bird. Oh, the blue tit on your card. On my card? Yes, it's just the same colour, isn't it? There, how's that? Oh, yes, that looks very nice. Very nice. <laughs> now, you ready for some tea? Look. What? All the cards. <laughs> oh, yes. What a lot of cards you've got. So many good friends who still remember your birthday. Aren't you lucky? Yes. Aren't I lucky? I actually had the privilege of working with him in television as well. I, did, um, I was doing a sitcom series with Chris Barry called The Prince Among Men. Um, and I played his sort of ghastly business manager. And Arnold played the part of this um, of, of a guy who owned a factory that was um, that we'd bought and we were going to make everybody redundant and sack him. So I came in as this absolute you know, bastard um, coming in to sack him. And Arnold played, played it and, you know, proved that he was, you know, not just a, a radio actor. He was in vision and in close-up. He was absolutely fantastic. He was a consummate actor. He was, you know, he was, yeah. the, real, he was the real deal. He was, yeah. and he had a he had a radio program on in Northamptonshire, and he did a lot of work with the amateur companies, directed lots of stuff there, and mm. um, he used to give us the, he used to give us the back end of his wisdom from time to time. Certainly, myself <laughs> and Trevor, you know, if we'd be doing something, so oh, that's terribly unprofessional, Teddy, Trevor. <laughs> oh no, no, we shouldn't be doing that. Um, so he was, oh, sorry about that, Arnold. Yeah, um, uh, he was great because we uh, yeah we we toured with him uh, we and uh, and he was instrumental alongside with other of us setting up Archer's Addicts and um, you know oh. he'd sit in on on meetings and say oh no no well, what about the VAT it was his main question every time was well what about the VAT <laughs> and uh, <laughs> we'd have these great long meetings and we say uh, do you want to bring up the VAT question again but it was great because he did have business acumen and he he had an input into what we were doing in the early days which was very valuable and um, you know we loved him dearly and uh, I do remember we went on a cruise with him once and getting off um, at the airport to come back and he was going up the escalator with a case and I was behind him with my wife and we just saw him start to go backwards halfway up the escalator and we were rushing up to hold him upright because the case was pulling him backwards we thought no, we don't need Arnold tumbling down an escalator backwards with this large case well talking about the high seas uh, Jack May who played Nelson um, was definitely one of the first voices that I really could remember and just kind of fell in love with the row kind of and antiques dealer wine bar mm. owner in in the early 80s jack served with the uh, royal indian navy uh you know back back in the, back in the days when there was still an empire uh, yeah. was jack as cultured as nelson he he liked to think he was he had, <laughs> yeah. he, had he had the same voice i mean yes. there was there was no difference between his natural speaking delivery um, and 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 the character how are you feeling oh not too bad all things considered um, you know what you were telling me the other day, Dan? Uh, what's that? How you were going to make a donation to the church fund. Oh, yes, yes. But I ain't changed my mind. You haven't given him the money yet, have you? No. He said to wait. He doesn't want to take your money, Dan. He's not taking it. I'm giving it to the church. You can't buy your way into heaven, you know. I'm not trying to buy my way into anywhere. It's just that I'm not going to be greedy anymore. That's what I decided. <clears throat> Dad? Mm-hmm? I'm in difficulties. Oh, are you, son? What sort of difficulties? It's not that Jackie, is it? I never thought she was up to any No, 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 it's not Jackie. Though Lord knows she doesn't help matters. Oh, have you got into debt? Dad, I've been in debt since 1951. That isn't the point. Um, again, I remember from when uh, Paddy, um, when she was giving her, her farewell speech, she told a story about Jack May. And Jack had been out of the programme for a certain number of years. And um, the the director said to him, um, Jack, uh, we now do the read-through in the narrator's room. And Jack, with his this dry voice, said, 
I see tremendous progress has been made in my business. <laughs> and I mean, of course, what was so, I mean, again, there is me coming in in 1982 to, to see this extraordinary relationship between Chris Gittins playing Walter Gabriel mm. with the strangest voice you've ever and his son was played by a man who spoke like that, that. Is, oh yes. no do shut up dad what kind of madhouse have I joined <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I always thought when I, when I heard him on my radio, I just thought of Noel Coward. That's who I absolutely envisaged. Yeah. He yeah. had he certainly had a stillness to him. When, I mean, I did radio plays with him, you know, and I remember oh, very vividly at one point doing a play about um, uh, King Charles hiding in the Royal Oak, and we actually filmed it at this home out of near the A5. You know, when we had to wait till about midnight so that the traffic died down so we couldn't hear that in the background, you know. And we were all being people on horseback, clanking chains and jumping up and down on, on bits of board on the thing. And Jack was standing there with his coat, you know, his coat, you know, up round his ears, with this chain desultorily clanking in it occasionally as I refused to ride a horse on planks. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it seems like and this terribly arch way. Um, <laughs> and certainly I remember when when... When suddenly the, the smoking ban came across the BBC, you know, because in those early days, you know, we, everyone was smoking in the studio, you know. Yeah, on mic. It was almost compulsory, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but there was this notice put up outside um, in Pebble Mill, outside Studio 3, a large notice saying that as of such and such a date, um, smoking is prohibited in the building. And I remember Jack coming in for an episode and his coat was slightly up and he came over and just wandered over and looked at this this note on the wall and then just flipped his lighter and set fire to it. (laughs) (laughs) Sat down and lit up. (laughs) Yeah. UDI was declared. The character of Clary is an interesting one as three actors have played her. We've had Rosalind Adams, Heather Bell and Fiona Matheson all taken in turns to play the much set upon Grundy matriarch. The passing of Fiona from an overdose in 1987 must have hit everybody very hard. Yes, it did. It was it was tragic. Um, what it was was um, it was postnatal depression, um, and she she had a, a a baby that she would really really wanted, um, and she caught a train up to Scotland and she checked into a hotel and uh, took an overdose there, and so the whole thing it came as a terrible terrible shock to. To all of us, um, she'd been in the program not many years. I can't remember, but it was. In, uh, can you remember Terry? Sort of like two I or three years, or yeah, was it longer about, than that? No, it's only about three or two, maybe four years, yeah. tops. I mean, yeah. I mean, the shock was the fact that you had somebody in your midst who you've been working with and said goodbye to at the end of a, a recording session, and they cheerily said goodbye. There was no indication of what was about to happen. No. And it just makes you think, do I, you know, when I'm saying goodbye to people, do I really know what's happening there? You know, or mm. do they know what's happening in my life? You know, it's, it, uh, you suddenly start to look at other pe- people, the rest of the members of the cast that you're working with and mm. value them very much more mm. because, you, you know, what, what, you know, and I think we all tend to sort of build walls around ourselves at times and, and say, no, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. You know, and mm. you're not fine underneath. And if, if somebody had been, alongside her to perhaps on that day just you know uh, you know how are you you know and and maybe it's you know allowed her to uh, offload some of the, mm. the the worry she had at that moment in time maybe it may have been a totally different story um, no that's very true i mean so, sometimes it can be cathartic and sometimes uh, you know we do we do make very good friends up there yeah. and i've i've had times when i've been sitting in the in the green room with with various close friends and you know people have said what's the matter tim you know and i've and i've told them you know and and uh, and, and and that's because they're mates and that's what you do with with friends other yeah. times you know and i'm sure we've all done this where you go i don't really want to say, say you know? yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and I just maintain a professional kind of no it's fine you know a professional distance and so it can be one you know it can be both but at its best you know the arches is a kind of for, for a lot of us an extended family and we, we yeah. have made friends over the years I mean for my own part you know Paddy is is, is like a, a second mother to me because my mum died when I when I was 13 and so you know coming into the program and she's 
played my mother and and she sort of mothered me you know and 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 i i feel does. that uh, she does to most to most of the cast but yeah. the fact that she plays my mum as well is is sort of a double thing she is a very maternal figure and and we you know so we do we have we have very close relationships with with some people and that's true terry i mean if, if maybe she had but been able to unburden yeah. it, maybe that wouldn't have happened yeah it's uh it's because we have this transient lifestyle where we see each other, you know, briefly sometimes for, you know, two or three hours and then not, maybe not see that person again for, for four or five months or, you know, yeah. whatever, depending on the storylines. And it's sometimes difficult to make those close relationships with, with members of the cast. They're, they are close in that we're part, as Tim says, part of that extended family, but they're also distant as well. You pick up where you were. Mm. Uh, you assume things were as they were the last time you met that person, maybe six months ago, and you we shouldn't make those assumptions. We should actually mm. challenge those and actually say, well, I've moved on, I've had problems, let's explore those. But it takes working with somebody alongside them a lot on mic to have that relation, that real relationships where mm. there is that, that actual uh, coming together and being able to talk things very freely with each other. Mm. Mm. Well, well, let's try and explore um, some of the close relationships that the pair of you have actually had. So, Mike, obviously, the character of Betty, was played by Pam Craig, uh, died of a second heart attack uh, less than a week after listeners were shot by the first one in 2005. Pam decided to leave the show uh, to be close to her grandchildren in, in New Zealand. Yeah. Um, tell us a little bit about your relationship with your on-air wife. I was married to Pam longer than I'd been married to the two ladies in my life my first wife and my second um we were married to you know for 34 years um wow really yeah yeah i mean well you know from the moment i came in to the moment she left mm. you know, when, we, when we joined the program it was a good 34 years mm. um so coming into the studio after pam had gone was really weird very weird you know and uh, and we were friends in real life as well we we met so, so we did you know all about her decision to to leave oh yes she, yeah, yeah, she yeah, confided yeah. in you yeah, yeah, yeah. We talked. Well, she talked about it to to Vanessa, and then said, "Would you like to talk to Terry about it?" And yeah, and and I fully understood. You know, um, um, I'd known her from from her first marriage. She was married to the guy um, Terence, who was the "You're Never Alone with a Strand" man. Mm. You remember uh-huh. that? Really, the one that killed off Strand cigarettes. Yeah, that p- he looked picture of, like Frank next Sinatra. to a river. Yeah, and by a lampshade, you know, by That's a lamp, right, yeah. you know, on a rainy day. She was married to him for, you know, for many years until he died. And I remember we were going to his funeral uh, while she was in the programme with me. And um, then she met somebody else and they got very well, lived in the Malvins. Um, but his family were all in New Zealand and it got to a point where they he'd retired the only thing that Pam was doing was the archers and there wasn't a vast amount of that. And she just thought, you know, I'd like to go, you know, leave. And um, she made the decision. She said, right, I'm, I'm giving it up. I'm going to go to, over to New Zealand and uh, have a new life over there, which she did. Um, then we were faced, obviously, with the thing of what do we do? You know, do we kill her off? Do we, um, you know, actually uh, kill her on air? Do we, what do we do? And... Uh, uh, Vanessa talked to me about it at the time and said, you know, are you, would you be happy with this happening? You know, and I said, well, I'm not happy with Pam leaving, but I mean, that's, that's her choice. That's, that's got to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, if she wants to go, you know, so yeah, we've got to find a way around that. And, um, I think they did a phenomenal job of writing that storyline of, of Betty's death and, and the, you know, the aftermath of that for Mike and, and for, for, uh, Brenda I, and, and Roy. I'll, te- I'll tell you what, Terry, it was the first time I actually liked Mike Tucker. Really? Yeah, I, I, you're a miserable old sod. I, <laughs> I got I got your blooming address, Royfield. Uh, we'll be there, I can tell you. Well, I'll send Vicky round, actually. Um, She'll see yeah, to him. I, I went over, I was in New Zealand a few years ago, and I met up with her just before um, her second husband died, um, sadly. And I, I was aware that was beginning to happen. And, um, you know... Um, hoping one day we shall our paths will meet again because uh, she was a very special lady and she meant a lot to me over the years like 
Tim has said with Paddy. You know, it's mm. something, you know, you, you, you have them in your life and they are, you become one on the programme with, with that relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, uh, Norman Painting, Phil Archer, was always the patriarch of the show, at least when I came in about 84 as a listener. Uh, Tim, how was it working with somebody who'd been around from episode one in 1951? And, and were you actually close to him? Daddy! Hey, watch her, Grace, he's terrified! Oh, my God, this is ghastly. Get out of it, quickly! There's Isabella and Judy in those boxes at the end! Yes, all right, but you get out, Grace. Go on, get out! Look, it started the store and the boxes near the door. We'll have a hell of a job getting the horses past. Oh, drive them! Come on, get out! Get out. <laughs> Go on, stupid, move! Bill! Bill! Stand clear, Grace. We're coming out in a rush. Come on, Judy! Now. Yes, take these two. Okay, I've got Judy. I've got the other. It's an inferno in there. Oh my gosh, we're lucky to get him out. Yes, certainly were. Look, she's going back into the stable. What? what? No, Grace. No, don't do it. She's going in after midnight. Grace, 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 come back. The roof's collapsing. Phil, uh, Phil, you fool. Let me go. It sounds sort of strange, but there were kind of um, similarities with him and my father, not physically, not in in many ways. But one of the things that he had in common with my father, they were both extremely well read and had an opinion about absolutely everything. (laughs) And uh, and I was brought up to argue, you know, with with Mm -hmm. with my pa. My pa would come up with some kind of sweeping generalization and. And I would come and join in and we'd have, you know, absolute major sort of ding-dongs about things that we both knew a certain amount about. And that happened with Norman. And I really, really enjoyed that. One of the extraordinary things was that um, he wrote um, under, um, he he wrote Archer scripts under the name of Bruno Milner. Mm. But the the other thing that he did uh, that is very little known is that he actually wrote a few scripts under the name of Norman Bentink, spelt the same name Ah. as me, exactly the same. And then his son suddenly came in, uh, cast as Timothy Bentink, um, which is, you know, because our name's fairly rare. I mean, it was such an extraordinary um, coincidence that that should happen. Um, yes, and Norman used to pontificate and, um, you know, sometimes <laughs> sometimes to excess. I mean, Norman would not draw breath when he was telling you sort of stories about things. Um, to the extent that um, Paddy came up with the, one of the funniest lines that I've I've ever heard her say after after Norman died, Paddy came in for her first episode without Norman, you know, ever. And um, Jill had always been in the shadow of Phil. And likewise, Paddy had always been in the shadow of Norman. She had, and it had been written thus. And and so Paddy very, very politely had always just kept quiet and let Norman, you know, go on and go on. And, and she would bite her lips and bite her piece. Um, and so after she came back into the green room, having done her first episode without Norman, I said, Paddy, what was what was that like, darling? That must have been that must have been, um, you know, a bit, a bit different. She said um, she said it was it was strange, very strange. Nice. and i we all just packed up on the floor because it's that (laughs) wonderful dry delivery that paddy's got you know (laughs) nice Nice. (laughs) after all these years you know i've actually got as it were i've got my own show you know here we are come in thank you oh what a lovely day we've had phil's got his music on What's the betting he's having a nap? Oh, lovely and warm. Put the kettle on, can you, Chris? Right. Oh, yes. A cup of tea would be lovely. I'll just see if Phil would like a cup. There you are. You've already had a cup, I see, Phil. Phil? Oh. Phil? Oh, no. Phil. Oh. No, Phil. I just Um, remembered that that Norman brought the the mic into the programme. Oh. He he wrote. I think he wrote one of my first episodes. Oh. Yeah, yeah I think so he was, he was regularly in. writing in the seventies. And oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I regularly had stuff from, mm. from Bruno Milner. Yeah, I remember him well. 
And wow. I had this strange thing, which had never been done in the program. Um, when 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 was it? About a year ago, when when David's having a bit of a kind of a you know a, a crisis, and he hears his father, he hears you know the the voice of 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 Phil in in his ears, and they. Mm-hmm. They played this recording of Norman coming in saying, I've decided I'm going to give Brookfield to, to, um, to David and Ruth. David and Ruth. David and Ruth. And, um, and, and having to do that, and with my own father having, having died, it was one of those no acting required moments because I was, mm. I was required to choke up a bit. And, um, you know, sometimes in the programme, you, you are, you know, you, your emotions get the better of you. And right. as an actor, you use that, you know, rather than saying, well, I'm not going to, I'm going to do it. No, I'm feeling like crying, so I, I will, you know. Right. And, um, yeah. and it's moments like those sometimes where, 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 where truth and fiction um, merge, merge and, yeah. and you're not acting anymore. It's, it's actually, you're trying not to cry, you know. And that's, that, was, that, was, that was very moving. And, then, and it brought back, you know, the memories of, of working with Norman. The other thing, was, of course, about Norman was that he was quite small. And he wasn't mm-hmm. a very sort of tough guy, but he sounded, you know, he always sounded like a big burly farmer. You know, he had the, he, the, the nature of the voice um, of Phil. People always often said this to me, that he sounded like, you know, a, a tough, strong, physical man. Um, and I'm six foot three and Norman was about, was about, I don't know, sort of five foot six <laughs> or something. So, like, and I could never get that picture. I don't, I've got to remember that he's a big, burly, tough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good old well, Norman. Yeah. And he has a star on Broad Street. Yeah, he does. He, yeah, he does. On, yeah. 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 Um, talking about where uh, fact and fiction overlap. Uh, Mary Wimbush, who played Julia Pargeter, died on the mm-hmm. evening of the 31st of October in 2005 at the BBC at the Mailbox, mm. shortly after completing a session for The Archers. Yeah. Uh, can either of you remember that day? Yeah, I was. Uh, I, um, I think I'd just gone because I was in that episode, but she died in... She died in Alison Dowling's arms on, on the stairs. I mean, yeah. halfway down the stairs, she collapsed. She was going to the train. Oh. Alison was with her and she collapsed and, and literally she died in, Alice, in, in her arms. And, you know, yeah. as all actors say, way to go. Because, Absolutely. you know, you want to... Most actors don't give up acting. It's usually acting that gives them gives up. Them you know, up. Yeah. And, uh, and it didn't with her. She, she, she carried on doing it right until the end. I actually knew Mary before I was in The Archers and before she was in The Archers because she was, um, she was a friend of my parents. So I, and in fact, I have to admit here, I smoked my first cigarette um, with her son Charles upstairs in her room in, in, in her house, in a little cottage in Albury, just outside Tring. Um, when the parents were downstairs having a rip-roaring time and I, I, I'd been brought along. And uh, yes, her, her recalcitrant and naughty son, Charles, said, you're not a cigarette, oh my word. And I was, <laughs> I was, I was very young. So um, I've always shared, a, I always shared a naughtiness, you know, with, with Mary. And again, she was a bit like, um, like Margot. She was, you know, she, she liked her G&Ts and, um, and would, would sit down and regale you with stories and, and was a, it was a, a, a woman who was um, quite fond of a, a, a drop or two and a cigarette. And, um, yeah, she was, a, she was the sort of female equivalent of a hellraiser. You know, she was great. She was naughty and, and She was. And she'd, had a, she'd, had a, she'd had quite a naughty early life as well. And, and, yeah. um, uh, but a phenomenal actress. Uh, and, yeah. I mean, I worked with her a lot on radio. You know, before the way before the archers, you know, and she had that that gravel voice which just um, amazingly deep voice stopped you in your tracks. You know, yeah. um, she always seemed to be playing my mother, and I, I could always remember that it was. Uh, you know, he didn't say no when when uh, Mary said here. It was. Um, <laughs> it was. She was. A, she she was a force. She really was, and um, a great loss. But I mean, my gosh, what a way to go! I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll I'll count me in for one of those. I'll be happy to do that too. And that's and that you know the program needs needs those characters, yeah, and yeah. it needs those eccentric yeah. and different and absolutely instantly recognisable voices. Definitive, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what's given the program its texture over the years. The, it's that differentiation between the characters, the the age, the social standing, whatever it may be. Yeah. But um, the, you know, you, you know where you are. You 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 
we've painted the picture and everyone can see us and really actually you know uh, they they've got that picture be it norman at six foot four you know and mm. barrel chested and striding across the land and uh yeah or whoever it may be you know yeah that's in the listener's mind and it comes from those very definitive uh voices which yeah. are not necessarily polished performance voices they have come from from life um absolutely and that's what makes it special that is a perfect point to end, uh, gentlemen. Uh, we should do this all again sometime we and go through yeah. some, some, some more characters. Uh, yeah. But before... Uh, Want to go we... through the ones we hate? <laughs> 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 we've, been, we've been so tactful, Terry. We've been so tactful. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Both of us trying to think how to say this nicely. Yeah, and actually talk to each other without swearing. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. <laughs> now you two shush, because we're about to pop down under for a little touch of Millie Bell. Well, you don't have a roof over your head. Build that wall. Build that wall. There was Build nothing marked wall. classified on my wall. emails, Build either sent or received. Build that wall. I Build am that humbled Build to that have been chosen wall. by Build the Conservative Party Build to become its leader. That Britain is just a small island that no one pays attention to. A former colony won the right to determine its own destiny. Hello and welcome to Mid-Atlantic, the show where we look at the news and the views from one side of the ocean from the perspective of the other. Do you have a National Trust sticker on your car? Do you think you could be best friends with Kath Kidson? Do you spend hours wandering around the airport looking for an organic quinoa cafe because you refuse to go to Burger King? Then Sarah Smith Cloths offer you... Available from Sainsbury's for the Posher Washer. Proud sponsors of Dumpty Dum. G'day, everyone. Now, I don't know if you remember, but in the early days of Dumpty Dum, when I first started doing the roundup, I would often talk about what was happening on the other Facebook pages to do with the archers. But now our page is so busy that I really only have time to talk about our page, which is just fantastic, isn't it? Uh, if you're on the Dumpty Dum forums, you could this week have been talking about the Ambridge Bake Off, which was started by Kenny Koala Bear. Um, Jill has totally flipped out, but which was started by Miss Mid City. And Kate Lyle saying, I know why Jill is so anti-Toby. So that, that's some nice little discussions happening there. And I really do encourage you to go jump on there and get involved and meet a few new people. 
And our Facebook page is getting more and more likes every week. So please, if you've been uh, a member of that page for a while, keep the conversation happening, although it's been fantastic this week, because uh, I think it will encourage new people to start making their voices heard as well. So this week we were talking about Salieri. We, I was originally uh, worried about Salieri, but perhaps we should all have been worried about Bartleby. Was he, were all our favourite animal actors heading for the green paddock in the sky? A uh, bit of a discussion there, but mint, but no time said. Plot prediction, when Bartleby goes, so will Joe. And I don't know why. But uh, that made me look this sad. Um, and Robin Winning said, Bartleby is the only Grundy I like. <laughs> uh, we also um, discussed um, whether it's reasonable after a breakup to just leave the belongings outside the house. Uh, you know, I didn't know if he was just being snippy or is it, if that's what you did. And Rachel Kennedy said, if Rob had a shred of regard for Henry, then he would have packed up all his stuff and taken it over to Bridge Farm as soon as Henry moved there. And actually, I hadn't really thought about it, but of course, th- throwing out Helen's things is, is one thing, but to throw out Henry's as well when he's saying that he really loves Henry it just doesn't make any sense. Judith Lawrence said, No, legally you have a duty of care to the items. I have recently dealt with a similar situation, being a Kirsty to a friend. The professional advice is, advice is to box the, box the belongings up carefully contact the other person to agree uh, a neutral location with a date and time suitable to all. And I must admit, that all does make much more sense to me. I'm surprised by how often Pat and Tony just cave into whatever Rob says, because uh, I don't think I'm that confrontational, but I'm sure I won't be putting up with his crap. Uh, We also talked about the second week of Jill, oh my. Uh, Quite a discussion on there. Uh, Alicia Wallace says, I agree that Jill is being petulant, but all I hear when Pip talks to Toby is, remember that time you lied? Haha, <laughs> that was fun. Why does your brother give you such a hard time for being a cruel coward? Let me help support your awfulness. I just made you dinner and I still have to bribe you with sweets like a small child before you'll consider helping clean up. But even with a bribe, you still won't do it. Let's move in together. I can barely keep from retching. Alicia, that was really well done. Good job. And then finally, we were talking about uh, the fact that some uh, some flags have been going up for us. Alice keeps saying she would never have an affair. Emma doesn't trust Ed with other women. Hmm, are we joining too many dots here? Caroline Moss says, I thought the same. But do you think if they were going to do that, they might start giving Chris a few speaky bits first to bring him back into the fold? If Chris suddenly finds his voice, again, that could be a game changer. I thought that was a lovely way to put it, a few speaky bits. Uh, Charlie Room said, I think Emma is more concerned that Alice isn't paying for Ed's advice than that Ed will fall for Alice's somewhat dubious charms. I think you're right, Charlie. I just think she is a little bit of a jealous person and that... While she might not start out being suspicious of him and Alice, I think she might end up being, I don't know. Uh, Glenn Day After thought the same as the rest of us. Uh, and <laughs> with a spoon, as always, just this answer to question, nope. Uh, Valerie Bayliss finished with, I do hope they don't go down that hackneyed route. I hate it when you can see plots coming from a mile off and it's so unrealistic. It is, isn't it? But uh, that's our discussion for this week. We would love to see you on the, uh, either the Facebook or on the forum in the next week. So please jump on. Uh, your your conversation is what makes it interesting. So until next week, from me, hooroo. Thank you, Millie Bell. As always, that was tip top and buttonhole. Uh, folks, we have a shop. Go to dumdydum.com and you can go and get your merchandise that says dumdydum on it, like cups and T-shirts and whatever. Go there. Also, we've got a forum. So you can go there and tell us what you thought about this special show. And if you thought maybe Terry and Tim should have been a little bit more indiscreet. Anyway, go on to dumdydum.com. It's all there. iTunes reviews. Please send them in. We love them. They help us get up those podcasting charts with all, with all of your reviews. Uh, we'll read out a few soon. Now, you can help us keep our little show on the road by um, donating. Uh, you can do that by hitting the donate button on our website. It's not obligatory. You can just do it if you've got any spare change in your pocket. Or you can go to patreon.com and give us uh, $2 per show. 
Again, it's not obligatory, but if you want to, that'd be tip top. Um, remember to get in contact with us. Uh, you can do that by getting onto SpeakPipe on our website, or you can call us on 0203-0313105 to leave us a telephonic message. Now, you're probably wondering, where are our calls this week? Uh, because it's a special week, um, we've decided to do two shows this week, and one of them will be a show just of your calls. Now, on social media, you can find us where we're at Dum Dum. Me, I'm at Royfield. Harriet is at Sandbridges. Sarah Smith, our wonderful sponsor, is at Sarah underscore Smith. And Lucy, at Lucy underscore Freeman. Tim, how can people find you on Twitter? I'm at Tim Bentink, all one word, and you've got to spell it right. It's B-E-N-T-I-N-C-K, so Tim Bentink, all one word. And what about you, Terry? At Tucker's Patch. You see what I did there? Clever, isn't it? <laughs> on facebook uh you can go and find us uh by simply typing in dumdy dum and there's a good couple of thousand of you there um i believe you have your own appreciation society on there mr bentink i do they're very nice to me on the david archer appreciation group um i don't get any trolls there then they're, they're not allowed um and everyone treats me with um with kindness and 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 hugs which, um, which, 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 I, which we need, we which need we need, we just like, yeah. like it. There, you're not you're a needy actor. No, but I just, I mean, I have, have, I have come across some trollery in the past, and uh, having been right at the beginning of the, um, I mean, I was writing websites, you know, right at the very, very early days of the of the internet, of the CompuServe bulletin boards, and I was writing computer programs and selling it mm-hmm. there. And so when, um, when the whole thing came along of you know the kind of tie up with um, with the arches and and Twitter, I thought, oh, this is a good thing. And I, you know, early tweet alongs. I have to say. Um, the, one of the funniest things I ever saw was when uh, was when Nigel fell off the roof, and uh, it was an early tweet along, and I, that was the first time I'd ever seen it. And, um, it, it, and I said, "Come on, are you a man or a mouse, Nigel? Come up on the roof." And somebody said, "You're going to have to get the beeper out here." Okay, get ready with the beeper. Okay. <laughs> somebody wrote in capital letters, "Don't go up on the fucking roof." <laughs> <laughs> and I thought it was wonderful. And then it sort of started to get out of hand, really. And um, and I thought, now I'm going to back off because there's too much insults flying about, and mm. there's no repercussion to it. So I, I, I backed out of it. <laughs> we we can be a peculiar lot as Archers fans. We come at this from an absolute point of personal ownership don't we so sometimes Mm. people don't know uh where the drama and real life kind of you know starts and ends and they merge the two and 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 believe that they can um you know have some kind of direct influence on on scripts It, it is it is actually quite quite a bizarre thing but i suppose on the one hand it's a it's a massive backhanded compliment to uh to to the power of your of your craft gentlemen that you can mm. so no, paint I mean, these realistic it, I, paintings for us in our ears. It, we're absolutely completely prepared and and take it on board that that somebody should have a go at the character because that's what we're doing to you. You know, we're, mm-hmm. it's written in order for you to shout at the radio. We're we're performing it for you to shout at the radio. We know what we're doing. It's done on purpose. We're manipulating in that sense. No, it, but sometimes it goes over. It goes it, it goes over where mm. people have a go at the actor and then that's that's not fair because then you're mistaking what you know the character that we've created for the person who's the voice behind it and that's not right. I think also I mean in in the world of fandom in general I think the archers fans generally tend to have their tongues planted firmly in their cheeks. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We don't have anoraks following us we have barbers. <laughs> you wouldn't have anoraks i tell you no absolutely not <laughs> just before we completely go gentlemen um obviously you guys are jobbing actors uh, is there anything else that you're working on and anything else that you want to plug just before we all say goodbye to our listeners um i'm i'm doing a uh, well i'm doing a series of little indie films at the moment one of which i'm really looking forward to uh which is about homelessness and uh, yeah i've been getting more into indie films just recently and uh and also doing a bit of stage stuff I'm, I'm over over christmas i'm doing rather than doing a jolly christmas show i'm doing um two ghost stories by mr james mm-hmm. uh, whistle uh, stage versions of you know um cool. and i think they're going to be really good just doing limited runs in a, in a couple of places around the the eastern counties but um yeah I, i'm really looking forward because i've not been on stage for ages and it's really nice to get your feet wet again uh, from mm. time to time um mm. you know but uh yeah those i'm certainly looking forward to and um yeah enjoying enjoying life as they say even though i'm still stuck in birmingham but there we go well <laughs> uh, you are going to get the call back though aren't you 
I don't, I don't know. Well, we hope so. Well, I hope, hope so. so. Yeah, We've been yeah. missing, been missing Mike Tucker. I know, yeah. Mm. I, mean, I was listening the other day, and they were talking about the cider club being refurbished. I said, "Well, I thought, well, where's Mike? He should be going there, you know, breaking yeah. a bottle to open it up, shouldn't he?" Absolutely. So, <laughs> I hope yeah, sometime, I sometime soon, uh, some resolve will be made to uh, to uh, bring the, the the Tucker family back in back into the fold. Absolutely, absolutely. What about you, Mr. B? Uh, what are you working on at the moment? Well, I had a, a, I've had a, a strange year. I've had um, the year, what I call the year of the Roth, because um, I did this uh, low-budget British movie where it was me and Jack Roth, who's Tim Roth's son, mm-hmm. um, in a thing called Us and Them, which is about a home invasion. And I'm the posh banker with his family, and uh, and Jack and his gang come in and 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 tie us up and torture us, and I get half drowned in my own private swimming pool. And uh, so, but that was the first lead I've had in a in a film for a while. So that's going to be out fairly soon, and um, and then we just by complete coincidence, I did this thing called Reg, which was um, a, a wonderful Jimmy McGovern script, all about this guy called Reg Keys, who took on Tony Blair at the Sedgefield um, 2005 general election because his son's his son had been killed in in Iraq, um, and I played um, uh, uh, Frederick Forsyth. Um, the novelist who went on the campaign trail with him. So I had some really, uh, three really nice scenes where it was basically me talking and Tim Roth standing next to me, which is quite quite one of those big movie stuff. (laughs) And then the next job I got, I got a small part um, in this thing called uh, Rillington Place, which is uh, basically a three-part BBC um, series remake of uh, 10 Rillington Place, Mm -hmm. um, all about the murderer Christie. And uh, so I went to the costume fitting and I said, all right, and who's who's playing Christie? And she said, "Oh, oh, it's Tim Roth. I went... <laughs> three Roths in a row. Is any? I, I, play, I play his doctor. It's a small part, but no, um, the 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 big one. It's a it's a small part in a very big movie because I'm in the new J.K. Rowling movie, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, and that comes out in November. And um, if you go to the Comic Con um, trailer for Fantastic mm-hmm. Beasts and Where to Find Them, it starts with a blank screen and my voice over the top of it because I'm from the Bronx and I my character is called Witness. And uh, basically I start the movie with me and Colin Farrell and we're in New York in 1926 and uh, I'm describing this uh, this mist. It was like a mist. It was like a ghost and it had white shining eyes and it dove down underground. Um, and then that's the end of my part. But It starts very well. But um, so, yeah, watch out for the first. I can see you on the convention circuit before long, Tim. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? <laughs> I'm hoping so, mate. I need yeah. to make the money on that one. <laughs> so, yeah, it's been quite varied and, uh, yeah, and voiceovers and things like that. So it's been right. Tim, Terry, let's get you back on again. Uh, maybe maybe before Christmas, if we can squeeze it in and let's do this all again. Excellent. And and it, this is probably the first time I'm going to say it this year, but uh, a happy Christmas to all. It was like um, like a ghost. I saw its eyes, shining white eyes, and it dove down underground. The strange things going on all over the city. The people behind this are not like you and me. There's a hidden society. It goes back centuries. Yesterday, a wizard entered New York with a case. A case full of magical creatures. And unfortunately, some have escaped. Teeny, you brought Matt home. That's Mr. Scamander. He's lost something I'm going to help him find. We're going to recapture my creatures before they get hurt. They're currently in alien terrain, surrounded by millions of the most vicious creatures on the planet. Humans. Magical beasts are terrorizing nomadges. When nomadges are afraid, they attack. Contain this, or it'll mean war. Put this on it. Why would I have to wear something like this? Because your skull is susceptible to breakage under immense force.
But there's absolutely nothing to worry about. I want to be a wizard. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.